in me shall never be missed spiritually. But I said to you, you have seen me, and yet you have not believed. All that the Father, get this verse, all that the Father gives to me shall come to me. And the one who comes to me I certainly will not cast out. I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him, that's the Father in heaven who sent me, that of all he has given me, I will not lose any, not one. But I will raise it up at the last day. Go down to verse 44. We'll pick the rest of it up a little later. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Years ago, we had a man and his wife in this church. He was a good man. I don't know whether he's still living, but he was a good man. Later they moved to Salem. But before they moved to Salem, he moved out from me. (laughs) And I'm going to explain something. He used to get very frustrated with me because at the end of my messages, I did not do what was the usual thing in the churches in which I grew up. You probably have never seen in this church, not that it's wrong, don't get me wrong. You've never seen me, most of you, it's happened maybe four or five times in 33 years, give a public invitation for unbelievers to step out of the pews at the end of the service, come forward, and publicly receive Christ. (laughs) He loved my preaching and told me so, but once he, more than once, he exclaimed, Jim, brother, that was a powerful message, but you let these people walk out the door without ever giving them a chance to receive Christ. They could go out, be hit by a car, whatever, and go off into eternity and not know Christ. Well, I had my reason. It's a good reason. He was a good man, a very good man, had a lot of influence in the Christian community in this area. But he was quite wrong on that point. So, in this passage, we'll see why. God always, I said always, gets his man or woman or child, always. Jesus makes it crystal clear that the blindness of human sin and the stubbornness of human pride and self-righteousness is such that unbelief, wherever you find it, is invincible without supernatural intervention. I read you two verses that underscore that. It's invincible unless an unbeliever is drawn to Jesus by divine initiative. No person can or will ever receive his saving grace. Not one, not one, ever, anywhere, anytime. Even so... No lost sinner can ever blame God or a preacher like me that he or she was left at the end of the day on the outside looking in. Why not? 
Well, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but deliberately because I want the point to be tacked on both ends. One, because God promises that whosoever will trust in Jesus as his or her Savior will be saved and inherit eternal life. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And Romans 10, 9 through 11 and verse 13 tells us that whoever receives him will be saved. We have his word on it. How can one explain to God the rejection of his promise of salvation in those verses and others? There's no excuse for anybody except at the end of the day, one rejected it. I'm not dealing with those who've never heard. Got an excellent explanation for that, but we have to leave that aside. The bottom line is one loved darkness rather than light, and that includes those who have never heard and chose to trample in the blood of God's Son. Well, in the case of the Jewish people, generally, not all of them, in the life and times of Jesus on earth. They possessed the scriptures, and unlike most church people today in our time, most of them understood their scriptures. I mean, they read them. They were familiar with them. A lot of people that sit in our churches don't know the Bible from a bunny rabbit. That's very unfortunate. They read the scriptures. They honored them in their own way, but in many ways, the Jewish people failed to understand their own scriptures and consequently spiritually they ran off the rails. They all revered Moses, their great prophet, who led them in those times back in the Old Testament. But misunderstanding their scriptures, a big problem, they miscredited Moses, as we've seen in a previous context last week, as being the provider of the sustaining source of food for Israel in the wilderness. So they come to Jesus. They're really impressed when he fed the 5,000. Really impressed. So now they're beginning to turn off a little bit. Can't go back into that context. And when Jesus points to himself as the bread of life, oh, he's, so you're the new Moses, huh? When people are in unbelief, you can't show them enough. And they weren't getting it. Well, we need a sign from you to confirm that you're who you say you are. So, hey, Jack, why don't you, why don't you give us another sign? Why don't you do like Moses? You remember Moses back in the wilderness when the people didn't have food. That was part of the plan and purpose of God. Moses gave them manna to sustain them through those 40 years. You remember that, don't you? Okay. We want to be on the bread line today. Why don't you produce something like that? And Jesus well said, well, first of all, you don't understand the scriptures. Moses didn't do any such thing. Moses was a mediator of that miracle. But the Father in heaven gave you that manna. Now here in your time, right there, boots on the ground, 
What the Father in heaven is offering you people is the bread of life. The bread of life, which unlike that man in the wilderness, will sustain you forever. You'll never hunger again spiritually. You'll never thirst again spiritually. That's what's available to you. They didn't get that. So that request was absurd. Jesus had just performed that miracle. If they wanted or needed a sign of his divine authority, his divine origin, what more could they want? But they wanted to walk by sight and not by faith. They were not asked to believe that blindly. They had seen redundantly signs of such magnitudes and strength as to mark him as that prophet that Moses said would come into the world. They should have gotten it. They didn't. None of that was done in a corner. They did not have to depend upon rumor. They were eyewitnesses of his messianic works, and yet they still could not muster faith in him. Still in faith could not surrender to him. That was their bad. In verse 36, in the face of all of that great wall of unbelief, there was nothing that Jesus could have done that was left undone to beckon them to come to him in faith. Their national unbelief, now get this transition, very important. Their national unbelief, and it was pretty well national, must mean then that your mission, if you're the Messiah, if you're the new Moses, hey, Bob, it looks to me like your mission has failed. You've come. You've presented yourself. Israel's not believing. So it's strange, isn't it, that the Messiah would come and Israel would not believe? Mission failed. That can't be. Jesus responds, you're right. God has sent you the true manna, the bread of life, of which that man in the wilderness was only a symbol or a type that prefigured me. But he's not done that in vain. His program of redemption, Jesus is talking to them, I'm amplifying, does not hinge on whether or not you trust him. What? Jesus says, look, speaking to the multitude, my messianic program of redemption has not failed. Even none of you out there believe. We don't get that. The game does not depend on whether or not you trust in me. Here's breaking news, verse 37. Don will flip that up on the board. Somebody will, I think. Yeah. All those the Father gives me, you see that? All, all of those that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. My victory is in hand. The truth is, everyone that the Father has designated, 
not my words, his, please note, they'll come to me, and whoever comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Let me explain that. Let me explain that. The Father has, the Father in heaven has, as it were, a book of life. The Bible talks about that. A book of life written in heaven is written on that scroll from eternity past. On that scroll are the names of all who will be born on planet earth whom the Father has predesignated as his own and pre-assigned to be redeemed, born again, and rescued from the depths of sin and darkness. Every single one of those will by his sovereign action come to me, Jesus is saying. Not one will be missing. None on that list will turn up missing. Furthermore, Ephesians chapter 1, see if we've got it up there. They had time to get it. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. Let me get it here. I don't want you to miss it. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5. I'll start with verse 3. Listen very carefully. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us believers with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as, that's in in accordance with this reality, he who, God the Father, he chose us, where? In him. If you know the Lord, he chose you to be in him. That's where we are. When did he do this? When did he do this? When? Not my words. When did he do this? Before the foundation of the world, why did he do it? That we should be holy and blameless before him in Christ. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Christ Jesus to himself. That's what Jesus is talking about. According to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of his, the glory of his grace, which he's bestowed upon us in the beloved. No, we're not defeated. We're not defeated, though the mass of you are not believing because of this reality. That's because my father and I are on the very same page. I will not lose one of my sheep whom the Father's given me, not one. Every single one will show up on the day of resurrection. Every single one. That's the way it is. So their stubborn unbelief and invincible love of darkness, then or now, in no way threatens the advance and the final victory of the kingdom of God and its king. Now, some still have questions. Well, Jim, Jim, what what about those who abandon the faith? My five kids went went off to college. They went to U of O or Oregon State. And they all lost the faith. Never had it. Never had it. They never possessed a true faith created by the Spirit of God. 
what they had was what kids so often come out of churches with, a shallow belief created by other human influences, just part of the dragnet picture Jesus talks about. The end of time, be a dragnet. I'll get up in the trash fish and good fish, trash fish and good fish, all this kind of stuff. That's the way it always is. Well, but Jim, Jesus is not explaining this. I'm explaining it. What about those people out there? They wanted to be included in his redeemed flock, but they weren't because they weren't written down in that book. Hear me. There are no such persons. There are no such persons, not one. How do we know? Because what does the scripture say? What does the Lord say? Whosoever will may come, may believe and be saved. If they don't show up in the ranks of the faithful, the believing, that is proof they did not want the shepherd. How do I know that? How do you know that? Because the Bible says in multiple places, if you seek him with all your heart, God promises he will let you find him. Where is that? Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29. God told Israel, which was always straying away in unbelief, if you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find him. If there's any person on planet Earth, any person in Lake Oswego, Tualatin, Taggart, or some of the outlying areas where we have some of you outliers, (laughs) we're just kidding you. If there's anybody out there that wants to know God, anybody in that whosoever mix, and they want to know God, God says, I'll be sure you find me. Also in Second Chronicles 28.9, same thing. In Jeremiah 29.13, same deal. But the prophet of the Lord named uh, Oded was there and he went out to meet the army. Uh, your pastor screwed up. Did I say Second Chronicles? I did, didn't I? Well, I'm a dummy. You knew that anyway. I think it means First Chronicles. Anyway, Jeremiah 29, 13, and Proverbs 8, 17. There's no lack of clarity about that. If there's anybody anywhere on this planet who turns up and their heart yearns for God, he will make sure they find him. If they don't want him, they won't show up. Well, Jesus goes on to say in verse 38, For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Nothing he does is independent of the Father who sent him. Nothing. They're on the same page. We've seen this before. Right up to the last period of history. I mean period like on paper. He is collecting. He came and he came and he's still doing to collect everyone given to him by his father. And we are his assistants through the spirit. And he says, it's the father's will 
that he not lose one of those chosen before the foundation of the world. Not one. Here is the plan unfolding. It is not being frustrated by the unbelief or the opposition of Israel, by the opposition of the Roman Empire, the Roman Republic, or any other Roman configuration, or the Gentile nations. Jesus is marching his church century after century down through the corridors of human history toward the climax. I can hear Dr. W.A. Crystal say so often, the denouement. <laughs> Sorry if you don't know that word. I didn't either when I heard it. The climax of history without one defeat. The Lord has never suffered one defeat despite appearances to the contrary. Everything fits into his plan. So in verse 40, Jesus came to do the will of his heavenly father, not his own. And that will is this, that he should not lose one of those who trust in him, but raise that person up in the last day, assuming they are deceased when he appears the second time. That's a wonderful truth. To me as a pastor, that's so comforting. We do what they did then in the day of Jesus. I mean, even while he was here. We'll see that at the end of John chapter 6. A bunch of people, they claim to be his disciples. They peel off and go that way. They always have. Always have. Always will. That used to trouble me so much as a young pastor. It broke my heart. Oh, jeez. What's the use? There was no failure of God's grace. Never is, never has been. All that the Father gives me, Jim, shall come to me. But along the way, there are people who are other, under other influences. And they'll come and they'll make a temporary profession of faith. Then they'll go by the boards. God's plan didn't fail. They just weren't in it was not a real faith. Well, why did God have to do it that way, Jim? Why didn't God say, come one, come all, and let's see who turns up? Because not one person would. Except the Father draw them. If he didn't do that, take that sovereign divine initiative, not one person in this room or any other room you know about or any other field or any other venue you know about, not one person, not one, whatever their own volition come to Christ, come to know God. They could not and they would not. Why? Because human beings, you and I included, are so benighted and enslaved to sin so in love with darkness and so rebellious toward God natively, so filled with pride that the worm would not and could not turn without a miracle of supernatural intervention and love. You, my friend, are a beneficiary of that sovereign drawing. And you'll be raised up at the last day. He's going to see to it. Your kid goes to college. Here's some idiot professor in front of them, mocking everything. 
Here are all their peers pulling on them, tugging on them. Well, we should always exercise human due diligence. I've told some parents over the years, or tried to tell some. So has my wife. Well, my child's going to go so-and-so. And we'd kind of say, I wouldn't. And they've seen disaster. But all that did was expose the shallowness, the faultiness of the faith of that child. The Lord will keep them. They may veer off for a while, but they will come back. If he draws them, he will keep them. The last day, he'll raise them up. You can be sure of that. Well, why does God listen to this? I don't get it, Jim. Why doesn't God just intervene supernaturally in every single case of every single person on the planet? He has. He says, whosoever will may come. Where does that put the problem? Back on the person who won't come. Well, the Jews were offended, verse 41, by his saying, I'm the bread that comes down out of heaven. Look what they say. The Jews, therefore, were grumbling about him because he said, I'm the bread. It's not the bread that throws him. It's this comes down out of heaven bit. And they were saying, look, come on now. They looked at one another, eyes rolling, and said, isn't this Jesus the son of Joseph, whose father and mother, hey, we know him very well. They just live right over there with all his other kids. How does he now say, I come down out of heaven? Give me a break. Well, familiarity bred contempt. It always does, still does. They knew his family, knew where he lived, his father and mother's brothers and sisters. They had what we call cognitive dissonance, which means square pegs and round holes when they looked at Jesus. It's the same old thing. A prophet has no honor in his own country. His own country. People look down on the familiar most of the time. Those closest to the truth are often the slowest to see it. They couldn't see how a good thing, any good thing, could come out of that podunk city called Nazareth. They couldn't see how any good thing could come out of a hick town. They sincerely couldn't see how anyone from that nondescript village could come out of heaven. I came down out of heaven. Oh, who's he kidding Then there was his humanity. As far as they could see, he put on his robe the same way they did. Ate the same food, drank the same wine, walked in the same streets, came down out of heaven. What's he talking about? To them, he was just another rabbi type. They couldn't see past his humanity to his... That's still a problem with people. Still a problem. Things never change. How many times do I tell you that? Of course, my man, things never change. That's what I love about reading the scriptures. You get behind the veil. It's the same old, same old stuff all the time. 
still is. To them, he was just, as I say, another rabbi type, descended out of heaven. These same problems still stumble people when it comes to trusting in Jesus. We talk about Jesus, 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 and pretty soon people hear that so much in the songs. Oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He becomes so familiar to our ears that he loses his shine. If he was a man, how could a man also be the fullness of God bodily? Really? Wasn't he just another religious teacher like Muhammad or like Buddha, like Confucius? Notice, Jesus refuses to engage them in debate. For that would not take them to the truth. He would not try to force himself upon them. No way. And they were saying, is this not Jesus? Verse 43, Jesus answered and said to them, I probably don't have the tone just right. His tone would be far better than mine. Oh, knock it off. Jesus says, I don't want to stand here and argue with you people over this. I don't want to get into a sophisticated polemic debate. Let's not have apologetics conference right here. Just drop it. And that's when he says, no one can come to me except the Father draws him. The Lord says this approach to the issue, standing here and arguing with him, is not the way to settle the matter. For the reality is, seeing me for who I really am is not a matter of disputation. It's a matter of revelation. Oh, that's so important to me. That is so important to me. My uh, youngest daughter was very, very interested in apologetics. Apologetics is not a bad subject. It means trying to defend the faith. But a lot of Christians misunderstand it. She would uh, go far and wide to engage some unbeliever. She knew her stuff. Engage them in debate. I would tell her all the time because her intentions were really good. I would tell her all the time, Julie, apologetics does believers more good than it does unbelievers. Reasoning, debating, disputing. Well, I've never seen it flip the mind of an unbeliever no matter how good the arguments are, and some of the arguments are so compelling. But the battle is not won by intellectual rationalization. I think that's what Paul meant when he went to Corinth. They loved that kind of thing. He said, when I came among you people, I determined to know nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. I'm not going to stand up there on a rostrum and argue with you. That's what Jesus is saying. Because that doesn't cut it. That doesn't get it done. As I say, it helps Believers more than it helps unbelievers. And Jesus says, let's not stand here and argue. Let me tell you something, a truth. No man can come to me. No man will come to me. It just won't happen. Except by revelation. Except the Father gets in there 
turns the key to the heart and draws them to him. I, uh, I've done that stuff, but I have learned a few things along the way. It just takes a supernatural work of God to flip the switch. Verse 44, mankind the world over from top to bottom, male or female, rich or poor, whatever race, tribe or tongue is so fallen, corrupted by sin and steeped in darkness that had not the Father taken the divine initiative to draw them to Christ, that's a miracle of the new birth. None would be seen. So we just teach the word. Teach the word. I don't get up here with a lot of intellectual rationalizations like I'm going to overwhelm you with a lot of smarts by trying to be intellectual. We just teach the truth and let it fall where it will and let God do with it what he wills. Despite that, God's invitation stands Whosoever will may come. See verse 40. This is the will of the Father that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him. There's a whosoever in that. The invitation is out there. Let no one say, well, he didn't draw me. I'm not to blame. There you are. It's all on you, God. No, it's not. You say that to every person. You run into that. It says whosoever. Do you fit under that rubric? You're whosoever. If you turn your back on it, it's your wicked heart, it's your darkness, and you will go to hell. And don't say to God going, well, you didn't draw me. You wouldn't be drawn. That's your problem. Well, in verse 45, It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes from me. What he's saying there is, the prophets predicted that the Spirit of God would break into the hearts of his unbelieving people and call out a people for his name in whose hearts the Spirit of God would cause them to know and to walk with him. That's the way it's going to work. That's the way it still works. The Spirit of God so works in this drawing process that people like you, you, you're taught by the Spirit of God and you're drawn. And how do you know that you're taught of God? Because you respond to the revelation of God. They shall all be taught of God. They know and they come. So he says... Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me, verse 45. Not that any man has said, I don't mean anybody has seen God like on his throne. The only person that's seen God is the one who's come from God. That's me. I've seen him. Truly I say to you, he who, there's whosoever, he who believes has eternal life. And I say to you, he or she in this room or anywhere else, you believe you have eternal life. And Jesus will not cast you out. He will keep you. John chapter 10. 
He keeps everyone who comes to him. And at the last day, you'll show up in the ranks. Your name will be in the book of life. And you'll be given the pass into his presence. We do our work. A lot of people very well-meaning. Very well-meaning. They're good people. They love the Lord like the man I talked about. But they get so sweaty in their zeal about trying to bring people to Christ that sometimes they do a lot of over-the-top and unwise things. They think, of course, this is a little more old school. They think I can get up here, get out of this seat, tromp on this platform and yell and scream at the congregation, wipe my brow. You know, as I preach, they think that'll get them moving. Or they go to some of these crusades and some of these over-smart people. Many of them are real. But they'll have all these people in the among 100,000 that are up here. And so when they give an invitation, they have all these counselors, but they're not advertised as counselors. They start moving to stimulate the crowd and make those who are hesitant start filling the aisles. And then you'll look and see a great crowd of those down at the front, down at the front, who've received Christ. Large part of them are just counselors. But it's that kind of thing and those kind of influence. We don't need to do that. We need to preach the word of God. We need to be real. You and I need to go out here into the streets and be what we're called to be. And do what we're called to do and go where we're called to go. Go out and be. We need, as God gives us opportunities, just to speak the word of truth to people. We don't have to break glass. We don't have to knock down doors. We don't have to get in here and get music that just blows us out of the building. You know, lights going this way and that way and all that kind of stuff and everybody running around waving hands and doing all. We don't have to do that stuff. Some of it was fake anyway. We just have to be men and women of the truth. We just have to teach the truth. And the Lord God, the Spirit of God, would draw those whom he has given to Christ. We don't know who somebody says, well, if he's going to do that, why do anything? Because he told us to. Because he told us to. Because he told us to. We do the business that we don't know how all that intersects with God's drawing, but we do it because he told us to. I could take the attitude, well, I'm not going to go over the preach. If he's drawing them, he'll get them somewhere or other. He always gets his man, his woman. He does. But I don't want to stand before him and find out I was accountable because I wouldn't do what he told me to, that I was lazy. I was afraid I'd do the wrong thing. You remember that parable, don't you? You lazy and wicked servant. No, we don't do that. We as a church do what we're called to do. We don't know exactly how we play into the mix, but we do what we're called to do, and we let God do the rest. But I am so grateful it doesn't hang on me, and it doesn't hang on you, because so often we do things that, ooh, I wish I hadn't done that. Ooh, I wish I hadn't said that. No, no, no. He'll get his man. He'll get his woman. 
And so I don't have to get all sweaty. Just do what I'm called to do. Be what I'm called to be. Go where I'm called to go as an individual and as a church. And let God do his work. And he will. I've seen that over these almost 60 years. It's a wonderful enterprise that we're a part of. You look at this crazy world, does it look like Jesus is losing? He's not. He's not. We live in such an upside-down country in Western civilization. It looks like God's being knocked off his throne. He's not. He's winning just like he always was. And he's drawing every single person that he intended to draw, every single one, every single one. The Spirit moves. I don't know where it's moving. I don't know in whom it's moving. I don't know what he's doing. Somebody said, I just try to find what the Spirit is doing. Go with it. I've never been able to find that out. I see it after the fact. Just let God do what God will do and let us do what he's told us to do. It'll all work out. He's not going to miss a beat. He's going to win at every turn. We just don't know all the turns. Let him do it. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I say to you, whosoever will may come. He died on the cross for your sins. You don't want at the end of the day stand before God having trampled in his blood when he said whosoever will. My advice to you is to hear, repent, believe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for your love sending Jesus Christ into the world to be our Redeemer. We thank you so much for your sovereign initiative that reached out to us at some place at some time. Through a process or more immediately, you just drew us into the saving arms of the Savior. What a wonderful thing it would be for any man or woman, boy or girl here at this season of the year to receive the Savior who received us in coming into the world to redeem us from our sins. We ask it in the name of the Lord. Amen.